Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. Uh, my name is Dan Mawson. Um, I'm uh, not one of the regular preachers here, but I'm uh, part of the preaching team that's stepping in while Tom's on a sabbatical. And uh, it's just a privilege to be here to uh, share with you again. So, uh, uh, good morning. Um, we're continuing our series this morning on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so far, Jesus has been speaking about some of the foundational truths of our faith, uh, the character that we're to adopt as citizens of this new kingdom that he's described, and some guidelines on how, <clears throat> excuse me, on how we are to act in obedience to some of the laws that we find in the Bible. Last week, Maddie taught us about humility and how our spiritual life should be private and not boastful. At this point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns and talks about money. The topic of money in the Bible is the second most referenced subject, the first being helping the poor. Money and possessions are referenced 2,172 times in the Bible, more than love or redemption or heaven or hell. It's obvious it's an important topic and often an uncomfortable one. How we manage our money affects all of us, both positively and negatively. Uh, it's a necessity of everyday life, but it also can be a source of stress, anxiety, and sometimes heartbreak. Surveys tell us that money worries are the leading cause of failed marriages. The, business, the biggest business sector in our culture is about managing our finances and the economy. Banks, investments, stocks, bonds, RRSPs, education funds, money managers, broker, insurance, savings, consumerism, sales, and of course shopping. It can be all-consuming. So, Let's listen to what Jesus has to say about money from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So last week we read about the Lord's Prayer, and we read that his kingdom is established and he is recognized as our father. And like all good fathers, he wants what's best for his children. Likewise, I wanted what was best for my kids, too, so I tried to teach them about money, about good stewardship, and how to manage it. I tried to teach them about spending their money wisely, and about tithing a portion to the church, about saving so they could invest in something significant. We encouraged our kids to get part-time jobs and earn money for themselves. We tried to encourage them not to spend, spend frivolously on worthless items, so to encourage them to save... We agreed to pay half the cost 
of items that, that they might want to purchase. We all know that it's hard to give up an instant gratification when you have some cash in your pocket, and we wanted to encourage them to save some of their money. So <clears throat> one day, my 14-year-old daughter, Tess, came to me and told me that she'd like to purchase a drum set. Well, I knew that a drum set was quite expensive, so I figured it would take some time for her to achieve that goal, if ever at all. She then, she then reminded me that I agreed to share the cost if she could save her share. Without hesitating, I said, yes, sure thing. Feeling a bit skeptical, I told her it would likely cost about $800, and she would have to save at least $400. Well, she smiled and glanced over at my wife, and I had the feeling that I had been set up. <laughs> sure enough, she produced her bank book with a balance of $450 and asked if we could go shopping later that day. <laughs> that lesson was a costly one for me. Don't you love it when you try to teach your kids a lesson and it turns out to be something quite different than you planned? This is the idea I think that Jesus is trying to teach us today. When we first read today's lesson, we learn some basic truths, but it just might be that Jesus has something deeper for us to learn. When we read the passage, it sounds like Jesus is talking about money and asking his followers to take some of what they've been given and earned and give a portion back to God. And I believe there's truth in that statement, but I think it does go a bit deeper. Jesus is speaking to a crowd um, like this group here today, multitudes, hundreds, maybe thousands, <clears throat> a group of his followers. If Jesus was simply speaking about giving to his ministry, he would have passed the offering plate around just like we just did a few minutes ago. But he didn't do that. Yes, there is biblical principles of first fruits where believers are asked to give the first 10% of what they're blessed with back to the church. But I think he's talking something, uh, something different than, about, than tithing. At the core of what Jesus is teaching is something similar to what I was trying to teach my kids. Invest your resources in things that really matter, things that last, things that have eternal value, not a short-term investment, but something that lasts a long time. Do not store up for yourself treasures on, the, on earth. Do not, he says. That's a command. And he wants your attention. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. He says, store up treasures in heaven. I don't think that he's talking, that he's saying that treasure is bad. I think he's saying that treasure on earth won't last and you will lose it or it will be stolen. It could be a bad investment, um, a stock market crash, bad luck, or you will just lose it at the end of your life. You can't take it with you. At your demise, your family will gather around the lawyer's office and ask how much did you, did you leave behind, and he will say all of it. Eventually, you will lose all your earthly treasures. Jesus is saying, be careful not to invest everything you were given into this life because it won't last. Invest in things of heaven that will last forever. This is a key part of the lesson. Jesus wants us to, wants us to know that there's more to, the, to life than just our time on earth. We're all familiar with the passage, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus has an eternal perspective and... 
he can see the big picture. I'm going to borrow an illustration from one of my favorite teachers named Francis Chan. For, <clears throat> for you millennials, this is a ruler. We old people use this to measure things in inches and feet. Uh, I'm going to use this ruler to represent your life from the beginning to the end. At this end, you're born. Your childhood years start, all fun and games, no responsibility. Then you go to school, elementary, high school, and maybe college. At this portion of your life, you get a job. You might meet someone special and get married. You have a career and you raise a family. Around this time, you start thinking about this time. You kind of start planning for retirement. You save here so you can golf more here. You retire, you slow down, you enjoy life. You have grandkids, you maybe, um, you maybe travel. Then you start to get old, your health fails, and you die. That's it. Twelve inches, you're done. You'll never look at a ruler again. The same, the same way. <clears throat> Many people still believe that our life is over when we die. Live life to the fullest because that's all you got. But Jesus taught us that there's more to life than just 12 inches. This is not all you are. There's more to life than this story. So if this represents your time on earth, <clears throat> then something like this would represent your time on earth that Jesus is offering. Jesus says you can concern yourself with a short time here on earth but don't miss the gift that he's offering, a life that goes on and on and on, not merely just 12 inches, but it keeps going. So imagine this tape goes on forever. It goes out the doors of the church. It goes out through the parking lot. It hits Highway 3, and it heads towards Cranbrook, and it keeps going. It goes over the Rocky Mountains. It hits the prairies. It's a straight shot across Canada. It hits the Atlantic Ocean on the other side. Well, that... <clears throat> Well, that would be 16,180,000 feet from here, and you're just a fraction of a second into eternity. <clears throat> the familiar hymn, Amazing Grace, says it so eloquently. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow, <clears throat> the sun forbear to shine, but God who called me here below will forever be mine. When <clears throat> we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we have no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years or longer. It just keeps going on and on. Life here on earth is just a few years, but, the, but this promise is beyond the grave. The lesson from Jesus here is this. Don't invest your resources where the reward is small and short-lived when we have all of eternity to, a re, re, to reap a reward of a heavenly investment. Not just a lifetime, but forever. <clears throat> like much of the Sermon on the Mount, this is a countercultural idea. Again, it gives us an entirely new way of looking at things. So let's just dig a little bit deeper. So what did Jesus mean by our treasures? <clears throat> well, I think I'll have a drink. Well, our treasures aren't limited to just money. <clears throat> Not all of us have an abundance of money that we can invest. He's talking about resources, your time, your talent, your gifts, the things that you're really good at, the things that you love, your ambition, and yes, some of your money. 
All these treasures are given to you, and you are responsible to steward them. The question at hand is how will you invest? The short term on earth or the long term in heaven? Okay, well, I can hear a few of you thinking out loud, thinking too loud, and I can hear you saying, I've earned my treasure, worked hard, sacrificed, and it's mine. Well, here's what the Bible has to say about that. <clears throat> in Deuteronomy 8 from the message, it says, if you start thinking to yourself, I did this all by myself. I'm rich. It's all mine. Well, think again. Remember that God, your God, gave you the strength to produce all of this wealth. And <clears throat> so as it to be confirmed, the covenant he promised to your ancestors <clears throat> as, it is to, as it is today. We're reminded, <clears throat> excuse me. We're reminded that it's good to work hard and earn a living, to use our time and talents to get ahead in this world, but don't forget where your abilities and your opportunities come from. Hear what Paul says in Romans, again from the message. Have you ever heard, have you ever come on anything quite like this extravagant generosity of God, this deep, deep wisdom? It's way over our heads. We'll never figure it out. Is there anyone around who can explain God? Anyone smart enough to tell him what to do? Anyone has done him such a huge favor that God has asked for his advice? Everything comes from him. Everything happens through him. Everything ends up in him. Always, uh, always glory, always praise. Isn't it amazing and humbling that God entrusts us with, such, uh, with so much? Our gifts, our talents, our passions, ambitions, and resources, and respects us enough to allows us to manage and invest those resources. He gives us a choice, spend, thing, spend them on things of earth or invest them for the future. Well, more specifically, earthly treasures are money and things that money can buy. Temporal things, dollars in the bank, dollars in your wallet, and things that money can buy. Just on a side note, it's interesting to know that researchers tell us there's no correlation between wealth and happiness. Excuse me. Happiness and joy are independent of how much money you have or what you own. We've all met miserable rich people, and we've met joyous poor. Some of the happiest and most spirit-filled people that I've ever met were people in Haiti and Kenya, where they had few, if any, possessions and virtually no money. Well, on the other hand, heavenly treasure would be defined as what matters most to God. He doesn't need our stuff or our money or possessions. He has the whole universe in his hands. So what's most important to God? Well, we find a clue in this in the next verse of the passage. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think what matters to God is your heart. Things that you adore, things you pursue, and the things that you love. He wants your heart fully devoted to his love. And not only your heart, but the hearts of everyone. Doing good deeds, helping others, being kind and generous are heart investments. It's about investing in people that they might see the love of God expressed through you. This passage also tells us where your treasure is, your heart is sure to follow. When you invest in something, it starts to consume and drive you. If you invest in earthly possessions, your heart will follow there. I've experienced this. 
I've wanted something so bad that, I've con that it's consumed all my waking hours. I became fixated and a bit obsessed with it, only to finally buy it and then be slightly disappointed. You ever notice when you're wanting to buy something new that you suddenly see it everywhere where you never, where you never noticed it before at all? Your thoughts get consumed, even at a subconscious level. But if you invest in heaven, your heart will also follow there. So what does this actually look like? What does storing treasures in heaven look like? Well, I've met some amazing people um, who have lived out this principle in their lives. I met a young Haitian woman named Gladys. She returned to Haiti after getting her nursing degree in the U.S. and opened an orphanage to raise abandoned and forgotten children in the slums of Port-au-Prince. She had a vision to open the only children's hospital in Haiti. With her faith, determination, and the support of many, she not only opened the hospital, but she has gone, <coughs> but she has built an entire children's village to feed, support, and educate thousands of orphans and needy children in their country. I had the incredible opportunity to go to Kenya and meet a fellow uh, to meet Charles and Esther Mully. Charles left a lucrative multi-million-dollar business to help street children in Nairobi. And over 30 years, he's raised and educated over 15,000 children in Africa and inspired people around the world. I also met in Africa a young lady named Lucy who started feeding street kids from her one-bedroom apartment in Nairobi. She gave up everything to move over 100 children from the streets uh, to a two-room shack on a piece of donated land in rural Kenya. God has blessed her ministry uh, and her ministry to thousands of, of, of children, most of them abandoned at local hospitals. She built a massive home farm for hundreds of children to grow up and flourish. She, she now has graduates from her community returning to serve with her. Closer to home, I've been blown away by the service and outreach of the gleaners here in Crest, on the food bank in Creston here. George and Terry Golder have a heart for their community and live out their passions to help others. I believe all of these examples are people that live their live that have a vision beyond themselves to invest in others and store treasures in heaven. So let's get real practical about this. What might some what might you store up as some treasures for yourselves? Well, here's some long-term investment strategies. You could help a, you could help a, a neighbor cutting a lawn, raking leaves, shoveling their stro their snow snow, providing a meal. Uh, sometimes simple acts of kindness can be people's answer to prayer. So watch for opportunities to help the needy. Help a local family facing medical challenges. Sponsor a child through world vision or compassion. Support a missionary. My daughter Tess, who I spoke of earlier, is now a civil engineer working for a global aid network, drilling wells and planting churches in, in Africa. Her ministry is supported by people who give financially. Another example is some passion-based serving. What I mean by this is take what you're passionate about and find a need. I remember when I was a young boy, my mom loved to paint. So she started teaching art classes uh, to mentally challenged at the Endicott Center of the time. It was something that she loved and many benefited from her classes. You can volunteer in the community. There's dozens of organizations that help others in our community. If you like gardening, help out at Spectrum Farms. Volunteer at the food bank or gleaners. They're an amazing organization, and I know they need 
uh, volunteers, spend some time serving um, with the Catholic Church soup uh, kitchen. They feed less fortunate every Monday at noon. Volunteer at the hospital or Swan Valley Lodge. Honestly, I've never seen a community that's so volunteer-oriented and willing to help the needy. A little closer to home, serve here at our church. Offer to drive someone to and from our services. Join the worship, tech, or dream team. Pray for others. You can, pr- you can join the prayer team or a prayer chain. Help with property maintenance. Support the Raise the Roof project that we just heard about. Come swing, swing a hammer when it's time to do the construction. Serve in Sunday school or the youth group. Uh, you don't need to teach. You just need to, you can be a support person and make a big difference. Speaking into the next generation. Is there a better investment that you can think of? My life was transformed by a young Regent College student that asked me to shoot hoops and uh, shoot hoops with me and he shared the gospel. Many people have the opportunity to serve others in their jobs and their careers. The point here is that there's massive opportunity for us to reach out, help, and support others and make an investment in other people's hearts. Eternal, heavenly investments where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Well, just like any investment, there are often dividends, rewards for your investment. When we serve others and seek after God's own heart, not only does God promise an abundant future for us, but he gives us a new hope and a heart-filling joy when we serve. That's a payoff now and a payoff later. Maybe it's time for us to reflect on our lives and assess how much time, talents, and gifts, and resources that we're actually spending here and how much are in, in being invested in here. Jesus offers us some free investment advice. Invest for the long term. But here's the challenge, because there's always a challenge. Jesus says you just can't sit on the fence. You have to choose. You have to make a choice. Jesus ends his lesson by saying, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Well, I think it's human nature to pick a favorite and shun the rest. You can't play for both sports teams. You can't follow two leaders. You can't have your cake and eat it too. There will there'll always be a conflict. You will love one and grow to hate or just ignore the other. Likewise, we can't serve two masters. In this case, uh, a master is, the sense, is, in this sense, is someone or something that you're devoted to. The challenge is to examine our lives and make that choice. I I sometimes hate these challenges because they're never easy. Mark Twain once said, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do. So to conclude, I want to share a story of an entertainer named Michael Jr. You might have heard of him. He's a Christian comedian and an actor who shares funny stories about our Christian walk, and he looks at life a little bit sideways. For several years, Michael Jr. has joined the Global Leadership Summit, an event that I've been involved with, and he shared his comedy and his stories. I want to show you a clip on how he's making a practical investment. But this is a bit of an investment of your time. Um, it actually runs about 12 minutes, but I tell you it's worth the investment. Let's watch that clip. 
One thing I like to do, I like to explain how comedy works. I always explain. I did this a couple years ago, but I got some more understanding of it. So I'm going to share with you guys how comedy works. Here's how it works. First, there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. Let me explain. The setup is when a comedian, for example, would take his talents and resources to make sure that the audience is moving in one direction. The punchline occurs when he changes that direction in a way you're not expecting. When you catch on to this change, you've received the punchline, and the results are revelation, fulfillment, and joy. So what I've learned is life is extremely similar. First, there's a setup, and then there's a punchline. Your setup is your talents, your resources, and your opportunities. And most of the time, we use our setup to ensure that our audience, the people around us, are moving in a direction that serves us, which means the punchline occurs when you change that direction in a way they're not expecting. You actually use your setup for other people. The results are the same, but multiplied, revelation, fulfillment, and joy but it's not just for the one receiving your punchline, it's also for you who get to deliver the punchline as well. We met this family recently. We found out about their situation, the Richardson family. I'm gonna show you a picture of the Richardson family. That's the Richardson family, beautiful family. See the little boy between his dad's lap? He is doing too much right now, he's doing too much. <laughs> so we met this family, and uh, let me tell you about the Richardson family. They have, uh, they have five biological children, and they adopted two teenagers. At the same time, they were fostering Five siblings all under the age of seven. That is a lot of kids. And then someone came along and they decided they wanted to adopt two of the five siblings. Which means they would be split up and probably never see each other again. So this family that doesn't make much money at all, they were cool with getting other jobs and doing whatever they needed to. And they stepped up and they adopted all five kids. Now, sh now shortly after that, one of their vehicles got stolen. So now they were down to one vehicle and they had to make two trips everywhere they went. And this is where we found out about it. And I felt like I was supposed to do something. Now here's the thing. I, when I give, I want to give because I'm supposed to give, not just because I feel a compulsion to give. Like you ever see them commercials with the wounded dogs? Please send this dog some money. I ain't giving that dog the money. He got a job. He's an actor. I can see him right there. <laughs> so... I try not to give out a compulsion. When I talk about giving, I'm not talking about the tie. That's not giving. That's called not stealing. I'm not talking about that. So when I give, I try to give. I try to give the way I should give because obedience is better than sacrifice. I don't just want to sacrifice something. So I feel like I'm supposed to do something for this family. So I meet with my family and we pray. And I don't feel like I'm supposed to buy this family a vehicle. I feel like God is saying, I want you to do something more. So we meet and we pray and we decide that we're going to do a comedy show fundraiser for this family. But here's the thing. If I just do a comedy show fundraiser, that's technically me buying them a vehicle. And that's not what God told me to do. He said, I want you to do something. So we decided to do a comedy show fundraiser. But what we did, we went to my events and I shared the family story with the people. And I, and I asked them to buy tickets to a show and we called it the no-show comedy show. And I explained to people, we want you to buy a ticket, it's like 50 bucks, but there's no show. <laughs> they was like, when is it? I was like, I don't know, I'm not gonna be there. <laughs> and here's the thing, people bought tickets. I remember one guy walking up and buying a ticket, he was a little emotional because I told him a family story, and he bought a ticket, he bought like a $50 ticket, and he was a little emotional. I noticed he had a ring on his finger. I was like, wow, thanks for buying a ticket, man. Hey, um, you're not going to get one for your wife? 
and he bought another ticket. People caught on to this, and it was like crazy. I was blown away. Now, the family has no idea we're doing this because I didn't know if it was going to work. I just didn't know. And, I, and my ticket buyers, I didn't promise them anything. They got nothing in return. I wanted people to give because they felt they should give, not because they were getting anything in return. The back of the ticket actually said you were buying a ticket to a Michael Jr. comedy show that won't happen. And this is not a tax deduction. We didn't want them to get anything out of it. We wanted them just to buy. Just to, so, but the only thing I told the ticket buyers, I said, if you do this, I, this was after they bought the tickets, I said, what we're going to do is we're going to try to capture the family story. And when we give them a vehicle, we're going to share that with you. And the way that I did that, I told the family, uh, I said, is it okay if we come capture your story? Now, the family still doesn't know what we're doing. I said, can we come by and capture your story? Maybe you can use the video to do a fundraiser, maybe get a down payment on a vehicle or something. They have no idea what we're doing. So I'm over their house and I'm capturing their story. And I feel like while we're praying and my wife we're going through, I feel like the vehicle to get for them is a Nissan NV. Have you ever seen one of these vehicles? It's huge. It holds 12 people. It's a beautiful vehicle. And I feel like that's the one to get. So I go to the dealership, right? And they have a Nissan NV, but then they got the Nissan NV. And I'm the type of person I like to give the same way I want to receive. So we want the Nissan NV. Well, the dealer finds out what we're doing, and he buys 40 tickets for all his employees. So we get to get the Nissan NV. So we got the vehicle, and I'm over at the family's house. They don't know we have the vehicle yet. I'm capturing their story, and they're telling me about these, these five kids and how, how the younger kids didn't even know how to chew food because their parents were just giving them a bottle. They were abusing them like that. So I have to take a break. I'm like, hey, let's just take a break for a minute. I go into the bathroom. I'm sorry, I go into the kitchen and I'm sitting there up against the cabinet. And I look on the refrigerator and I see this picture. That is a picture of a Nissan NV. It's been on the refrigerator for two years. If you read it right there, it says, "This God is awesome. This is our car. Reach for your goals. I had no idea. Obedience... It's better than sacrifice. So now we have the vehicle. The family doesn't know it. And I'm trying to figure out how to deliver it. But the thing is, I know a couple things about delivery. <laughs> so I tell the family, listen, we have your fundraising video, and we'd love to show it to you. So why don't you get your family and your friends all together, pile them up into the house, We'd like to show you a fundraising video. But what's really going to happen is I'm there with them. I push play on the video. And they start to watch their fundraising video. And I sneak out the house. And I go in front of their house. I interrupt the video and show up on their television screen and introduce them. Well, I'll show you. So we all go to their house. They're all piled in to watch the video. But what we really want to do is watch them watch the video. Because in the midst of this, I'm going to sneak out, go outside, interrupt the video, and it's going to be me in front of their house introducing them to their brand new Nissan MV. Check it. I know you're in there sitting on the couch wondering if this is actually a real live video. Well, it is. And the reason I'm in front of your house right now 
is because I would love it if you and your whole crew and everybody else would simply just come outside so you could see your brand new Nissan MV. Is your payments are only four hundred dollars a month? So no, <laughs> no, it's completely paid for. One hundred percent. This isn't a Michael Jr. thing. This is about a family. The people y'all never met before heard y'all's story. We decided to do a comedy show fundraiser, but there actually wasn't a show. So people all over the country, my fans, different places, got together and bought tickets to a show that don't even exist. I don't know how to repay anybody for doing something for me like that. Now you're in a position where you just need to receive. I receive. I receive. So, so here's the thing. Everyone in here, everyone in here has a setup. Your setup is about what you received, but your punchline is about what you're called to deliver. And if all you know is your setup, you'll make the mistake that most people do. You think what you need to be fulfilled is more setup. If I could just get another, if I could just get married, if I could just make another million dollars, if my church was just a little bigger. But what you really need is to know what your punchline is. And please understand, like Immaculate showed us. Your setbacks are part of your setups. You can deliver the punchline you're called to deliver. Much like a slingshot, the further you've been set back, the further you're going to reach. And please, business owners, understand this. Every business has a punchline. Every business has a bottom line, but very few have a punchline. Your job as an individual and as a leader is to deliver 
your punchline. I'm Michael Jr. I love you. I love you. I love you. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Wow. Proverbs 8 says, or the Lord says in Proverbs 8, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are the riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold, and what I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. Will you pray? What an amazing promise, Lord. A promise of wealth and prosperity forever. Better than gold and silver. Jesus, you tell us to store up treasures in heaven, invest in things that matter the most, and that will last for eternity. It's sometimes easy to lose perspective and become focused on the here and now, but now, oh, but give us a far-sighted vision. In our attempt to be devoted to you, we have the tendency to drift away, rely on our own strength. We need a daily reminder of letting go of our will and our ambitions and allowing Jesus to live through us. Jesus, we need you in our families. We need you in our relationships and in our jobs and definitely in our finances. Thank you for warning about warning us about the dangers and the pitfalls of investing our treasures in the temporal. And please guide and prompt us to invest wisely. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey. Whether you're finding Jesus for the first time, or you have been following him for years. If you have been listening for a while, perhaps you're wondering how you can support the church financially. To find out, please go to ericksoncovenant.ca and click on the Donate tab. Thank you for being part of this journey with us. Every day we are seeking to help people to find and follow Jesus.